Hello and welcome to another edition of Battle Plans. I'm Tony Lombardi, and I'm joined as I always am each week by James Ogden and Dev Panchois, both with Russell Street Report. Battle Plans are brought to you in part by Royal Farms. Be sure to join Rofo Rewards. For every dollar you spend in store, you'll receive five points, and for every gallon of gas purchased, you'll receive one point. Redeem your points to receive a wide range of items. For details, go to RofoRewards.com. That's RofoRewards.com. Gentlemen, how are we today? Good, thanks, Tony. We're good. I think we're all recovering, right? Like multiple ways, however you want to define it. Well, it's like the Ravens are testing our intestinal fortitude this season. It's just, I don't know that I can recall a season quite like this one where there have been so many twists and turns and off the field drama that, you know, I guess was unavoidable with respect to injuries and illnesses and then just the changes on the field. You know, the Ravens in 2019 got off to all these fast starts and Lamar Jackson probably didn't finish about, you know, four to five games because they just pulled him because they had the game so well in hand. And this season, wow, it's just sort of the, the polar opposite of 2019. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. I mean, I think a lot of uh, the sentiment, it seems, across the board is drawing parallels between 2019 and this season. And last year was a bit of a weird one because of COVID and just kind of the fact that there was no fans at games. And I thought the team ultimately got through and, and did the best that they could. You could argue that's the most talent deficient team of the three because this year's team obviously is talent deficient because of injuries. But I mean, ultimately, yeah, like this is, I, I remarked Tony and, and I'm, you know, very keen on the history of this team, but, uh, and, and football in general, but in all the time that I've watched football, Ravens, I mean, I can't remember a team having so many major players that are out. I know the Titans have been the most injured team technically uh, based on like games missed or something. But if you look at the Titans, like top guys, I mean, yeah, they lost Derrick Henry. They lost quite a bit of um, talent at, for the season. But I mean, they've still had guys in and out of the lineup. This is kind of um, uncharted territory when you're talking about the types of, I mean, two of the, the three guys you would say that they couldn't afford to lose, they've lost now, Stanley and Humphrey, the other third being Lamar. So it's just remarkable to think about what they've, they've dealt with from an injury perspective. Yeah, Deb, you're right. And it's, it's those, it's like you hit those cornerstone positions that they've built, they've, they've, put priority on building through in, in the draft and in trade and free agency, you know, um, you could argue that, you know, this defense is built on kind of communication from veteran leaders. Um, and we lost LJ Fort before the Ravens lost LJ Fort before the season. The, the defense is also built on, you know, on playmaking on taking, taking the ball away, which they haven't done. They lost Marcus Peters before the season, you know, lots of the, Lots of the pieces that make up this team, I, I, you know, I I bang on about this a lot, but Derek Derek Wolf is is crucial to their to their run defense and and to the way that they they rush the passer um, on the inside of the defensive line. So it feels like all lots of the kind of 
very important component parts of this of this unit have 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 been gone for most of the season and it does i, I do think it speaks to the coaching and the, the ability to have them where they are i think they're, they're realistic about the limitations of this team as it's formed now it isn't a good team like it does it has lots of um has lots of limitations now but to have them where they are still albeit in a season where lots of teams are, are not good um especially within the afc it does feel like it's a it's a real kind of boon to this to this coaching staff and to the organization or right the way through as much as fans get frustrated with it to to have them where they are competing despite all of those all of those setbacks is a, is an achievement in and of itself while we can still be disappointed with with individual performances and individual games like the one this last weekend really good point guys and, and you know i was looking at some emails that i've received i've looked at some message board forum posts and listening to uh, sports talk radio, there's there's a lot of questions out there about the Ravens team. So I thought we'd take a look at battle plans in a little bit different way today, more or less uh, along the lines of retrospective in terms of what the Ravens can do going forward, not specifically about the Cleveland Browns this week, but just managing the season as a whole. So I just wanted to throw some questions that I've been getting. You've probably seen some of these yourself, but I, I want to just kind of use those questions as a basis for, for battle plans. So the battle plans will be more like how to, do the Ravens proceed this season to make it to the postseason, and, and then perhaps even if they're fortunate enough to do some damage in the postseason. So I, I want to start by talking about the RPO game. I hear a lot from fans that the Ravens just aren't utilizing it all that much. And you, the three of us know – why some of that is, but I, I thought there'd be a good reason or a good topic for discussion. You know, what has changed to make Greg Roman seemingly abandon it at worst or rely upon the RPO game significantly less than he has in the past? So let's start with you, Dev. It's a good question. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, it made me think of how the patterns have been the last few games. Uh, and I believe, and James can keep me honest on all this, like I think they're early, it's an early down kind of sequence or early down preference to stick w- with these RPO plays. But, uh, you know, as to why they haven't baked it in, it just seems like they've, def- they've deferred a little bit more to their, their classic kind of play action motion or handoff motion. And then I've, I've noticed, that, and this is something that we've talked about in other battle plans is that their early down uh, strategy is to kind of take those shots down the field. Um, and, and, or, you know, they've, they've baked in their, their run game in those early down sequences, obviously third down is tough. I mean, they've either had all or nothing to me, like a lot of third and longs where you're not going to use RPO on third and long. So it really comes down to first and second down. And as to why that's not bolted in as much, in their past game. Uh, but James, keep me honest on this. Like, what are you, what have you seen with those patterns? Uh, because we've called out, like, I would say two to three RPO plays earlier in the year that really work nicely. Um, and we've talked about it in battle plans, but it just doesn't seem like it's been as, as, as prevalent from my view, at least. Yeah, so I, I I thought the same thing that that, that this is kind of that it does feel like the RPO game is less prevalent, and I think it probably is. 
However, the one thing I would say is the, the RPO game should be one tool to your offense. And when you go and look at how, and, and granted, this is pro football reference, which is the free, um, which is a free um, st- stats kind of uh, site. So it's not, I'm not so sure about the um, the ability of them to chart this that accurately. But to give you an indication that the Ravens are in the top five in the league in terms of use, uh, in terms of throwing and running off RPOs on both, both sides. So they do actually relative to the rest of the league, use it quite a lot still. Uh, and the other thing to say is that they're, they're reasonably efficient at using it in terms of the yardage they still gain from those plays. If you look at it just purely statistically, um, they're, they're, there's one team that uses more RPOs than anybody else and is better at using RPOs than anybody else. And that's the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, But they are way ahead of everybody in terms of the way they utilize their RPOs. I think the other thing with RPOs, just to say, to sort of set the tone of the conversation is that RPOs are sexy. Like people like RPOs. They, it's a, I was reading this morning about how college coaches, um, lots of the kind of the success behind lots of um, really effective college offenses that are looked at as kind of RPO offenses, it's actually rooted in the triple option. Like it's the triple option that is the thing that those those kind of characteristics that are brought into the into that offense are the reason why those offenses tick. And they're sort of called RPO offenses because you know, if you're an offensive coordinator and you run an RPO offense, you're, you know, you're hired into big jobs in college football. But if you're running a triple option offense, you're going to be stuck at Georgia Tech. So it's kind of like people are a moth to a flame with RPOs. It has to be one part of a successful offense and it has to be deployed sensibly against teams where it will be effective to use against. And I do think he's brought it back. I think I do think Roman has kind of brought it back a little bit um, and dragged it back a bit from from previous seasons. But I actually think he's still using it at a reasonably high rate, um, certainly compared to the rest of the league. And I don't I don't think it's the part of the offense that is most dysfunctional currently. Well, when you look at the times they've run the RPOs, it just doesn't seem like opposing defenses give the running backs the kind of respect that they may have given to a J.K. Dobbins or a Gus Edwards? Or do you, are you guys seeing the same thing? I, I'm just wondering if maybe the lack of home run hitting ability from the backs that they currently have allow them to cheat down a little bit more on, on Lamar. And therefore, that might be the reason why people don't think that the RPOs are being run that often because they just haven't been as effective as in the past. Yeah, yeah I, not, I think that's a great oh, sorry, point. You could then. Oh, I just wanted to sorry, Dev. quick point. No, no problem, James. Just a quick thing I thought of is that, yeah, in again, my lens earlier in the year, when you saw the RPO, you're like, oh, wow, that worked. And that got them like 10 yards. So part of that is the windows get obviously vacated when the backs, the backers, you know, cheat down to your point, Tony. So, yeah, I mean, there is something to that. It, it, the earlier, earlier in the year when they went, when they had that run game with that level of respect, we talked about the Denver game, for example, like I think teams were still very scared of that run game, but I like, I'll let you go from there, James. Sorry. That was my initial no, thought. You're so right, Devin. I think that's the, that's what I was, I would just build on what you've said really, which is that the, the way in which you defend RPOs. And I think the, the way I've seen RPOs defended most successfully is with, is, is through your safety depth, which then closes down the windows to, to throw the ball. Uh, and, and basically, I, th- I think you're you're largely right, Tony. That like 
that those safeties are not having to respect the run as much um, as they were previously. And I think it's it, that kind of, that loss of Dobbins has affected the Ravens in lots of different ways. I think we, we I've talked about it at length, but the inverted veer has been used far less this year than it has been in previous years. Uh, certainly, sorry, certainly since last year, towards the end of the year, uh, when teams would have to respect J.K. Dobbins' speed to the outside, they would have to, they could not cheat too much to cover Lamar running the ball up the gut inside. They had to cover Dobbins outside. And so it stopped them from, from, from defend it, it enabled them to defend Lamar more effectively, and it's the same thing. It you know the the running game uh, being as it is has been serviceable, but it just hasn't um, opened up the other things that this offense can do in the same way it did when you had the one-two punch with with Gus and and Dobbins. Guys, you know Greg Roman is apparently the the guy who's receiving the brunt of the criticism from a lot of Ravens fans when things don't go well offensively and what are they averaging like 14 and a half points over the past four games or something like that. And then uh, fans being used to what they had seen in the past. So G row gets a lot of criticism, but then when you look at the all 22 film, there are a lot of plays. Lamar is holding the ball, taking sacks on that. He could have got the ball out sooner to sometimes pretty wide open receivers. Now, He's getting a lot of blitz, blitz activity from opposing defenses, and, and the Ravens just seem to be struggling against that. So I'll ask you both, and I'll start with you, James. What should they do differently, not only to neutralize those blitzes, but also to use it against defenses and perhaps even discourage it? Yeah, so I think I think one of the – if I first address your, your, your points about Lamar, I think – one of the things that I do feel he is he is trying to do is he's trying to do too much, and I think there's a there's an awful lot that goes into that. I think that uh, that he's he's thinking about uh, earlier in the season when he had to do a lot himself. It, a lot of it was put on him on him, and he had to do a lot to win games for the Ravens. Uh, certainly in, in those big comeback in those big comeback games, I think he also uh, is trying to do too much because he has seen the mistakes he's made over the last couple of games. He also missed the game because of the illness. I think he's trying to make up for lost time. And what it's doing is it's kind of, it's making him regress a little. So he's not, and this is one of the things they can do more to kind of, um, to combat the blitz is that he's not, um, he's not, he's not making those anticipatory throws as well as he did earlier in the year. Earlier in the year, he was not being a quarterback that has to, to see it and throw it. He was able to make those anticipatory throws, which he'd always, always done throughout his career, but he was consistently making them at the start of the year. And he's just regressed slightly for on that front. And I, I do think it's a temporary, temporary malaise that he's going through. I don't think it's something that's going to continue. And I think he will get it. It will get it rectified. Anybody who sort of believes in Lamar in the way that I do, uh, in the way that his ability to, to get better. Um, I think he's going through a slightly down patch and I think it will improve. I think the other thing to say is there are some things that, that the Ravens, uh, I think there are some things that the Ravens need to do that I I know that they know they need to do. It's not like this is this is groundbreaking because you can see them try it. And one of those things, and I'll, I'll touch on this one and, and leave anything else for Dev. But the the main one I see is that when you watch those blitzes come against Lamar, what you can see is um, safety. Oftentimes, teams aren't actually playing cover zero when they throw when they throw high, high pressure packages at the Ravens. They're actually playing cover one. 
And the the problem is it looks like cover zero because the cover one, the, the, the single high safety has no respect for any deep ball. He is sitting on those underneath routes. So when when you throw an underneath drag route along the, uh, that is a great route to be beating man coverage against cover zero, you get it into the hands of a playmaker who makes the first down by getting um, yards after the catch. He's actually got a safety coming down on him to hit him well before he gets to the first down marker. So you've got a situation where teams just don't respect that deep passing game anymore and so I think they need to hit some of those deeper deeper passes and that's easier said than done you know I can sit here and say that all day and it's not it's not easy to do but they were doing it much more at the start of the season it's why teams didn't blitz them as much at the start of the season because they had respect for that deep passing game and um, because that a dot our average depth of target was way up there in the in the first uh, games of the season it's not there anymore and I think we do need to get the Ravens do need to get back to, to hitting those deep throws and that will help um somewhat against those 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 heavy blitz packages yeah um just to jump in james that's that's a great breakdown overall a couple of things i i'd say from that point of view uh we've been hammering that they do need to complete these deep balls they got to figure it out i mean they got to make like they have to they have to actually make an effort to do it like get it back going uh marquise brown has turned into an underneath receiver right now uh i mean he's he's just not that guy like he can do that for you but that's that's not using him the best way possible so i think and that's a a little bit a byproduct of what roman has tried to do to actually help with diffusing the blitz or to uh attack the blitz which is to get the ball out quick and run some and have the receivers kind of run these shorter routes and they've done that ball's got to be out on time though and that's a huge huge like uh, problem I have with Lamar when I watch these games like every week the ball should be out of his hands much sooner they aren't even giving him deep drop steps as much now like relying on that it's it's a shortened passing game in in those situations um he just has to you know to, to James's point um if he's just got a lot going on in his head I mean if you looked at the Steelers game, like Tony, you, you alluded to, I mean, there's guys running wide open, but it's not the big play per se. It's the shorter plays that he's got to take when those opportunities are there. And when the big plays are dialed up, they, they, which they have to manufacture, they just have to like come up with a little bit better scheme, I think, for protection. The last thing I'll say is, and I keep hammering this every week, is their early down inability to run the football contributes to all the problems and the blitz being opened up tenfold so the running game is is so bad at times guys that they're losing three two three four yards on first down you can't have that anymore so i think that's a big that's a big underlying issue that it's it's almost like uh like you know they say like you can't cure the disease you can only quell the symptoms so this is kind of like i think (laughs) this is like the big problem of this if you want to call it a disease is that running game on first and second down is just not getting it done. And that gives opponents the chance to tee off on third down and, and, and obvious passing situations. Lamar, I don't think anybody would argue with this, is the most mobile quarterback in the history of the NFL. And to combat some of this, these blitzes and show other teams a different look, I, I'm kind of surprised that they don't use a moving pocket more often or use some boots or waggles, you know, and and we saw a little bit of that when Tyler Huntley played against the bears, that they were moving the pocket, particularly to the right. And they seem to 
be somewhat effective off that. But I'm not seeing a lot of that with Lamar. Can either of you explain why we might not be seeing those boots and waggles and moving pockets? Um, I guess I can try here, James, and then you can help with, you know, coloring everything in. Uh, you know, I actually saw them do some of that against the Steelers. I mean, they had a couple of uh, slides. They had a situation where I think they had Lamar. I think he, he, he actually, the pocket went to the right. Um, so they tried to get him off platform a bit. Uh, overall though. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they kind of don't have as many of these types of plays baked in uh, the way that other offenses do. Like, for example, I'm thinking that the Vikings right off the top of my head do a lot of this stuff. It's, it's going back to the Kubiak offense and you have to deal with the boot boot action um, off of the play fake the Titans do a lot of it with Ryan Tannehill. So, uh, yeah, I mean, is that a concept issue? Is that something where, you know, the Ravens, you know, with their, with their run scheme, it's not married to that. I'll let you take that James though. Yeah. I think that's a lot of it. I think, you know, when you think about the teams that do it a lot, Titans, the Vikings, the Browns, these guys do it because they have extremely effective run games. And so it's, diff- it's, you know, the, the focal point for most defenses when going up against those offenses is stopping Derek Henry, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb. So when you run a, an RPO, when you run a, a boot or a waggle off that you're, you're running off the play action. And so teams those defensive lines are respecting that run and so they're not really look they're not as as much looking for the quarterback i think one of the reasons why they don't do it is because lamar is the most mobile quarterback in the history of the nfl and because they of their defenses are so focused on stopping him the eyes are on him keys are on him so it's not you know they those teams won't necessarily be as fooled by that because they're looking to stop Lamar first and foremost so they're probably going to not do that as much because of that i think they've done a little bit of it but i also think like i said that it's just it's because of who he is i think that, that that's the case and also it's just not a huge part of greg roman's offense it's just not not things not a thing that he runs um it might be something to to think about throwing in a little bit trying to i think one of the things that the Ravens do need to do to potentially combat some of this blitz stuff is just to do something different is the thing. It's like just throw in a couple of times, something that is very unexpected. It feels like a lot that, uh, the Ravens are being dictated to a little bit too much by those defense, by those defenses who are coming with those blitzes kind of do something to put them in a jam, do put them, give them something that they've not seen you do before on offense uh, and see see if that see if that has an effect, and just do something slightly different that's kind of away from your nature, away from your tendencies, once or twice, just to see, just change it up. And so it might be something that is something that they that they think about doing into the into the future to try and combat some of that that blitz that blitz stuff. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because when you start to create a little bit of uneasy feeling on the defensive side of the football, when the Ravens have it, I think that you make defenders think a little bit more and if they have to think a little bit more they don't play as fast right now the Ravens aren't doing any of that and also I would argue that they are so laborious getting to the line of scrimmage and snapping the football that they may as well just say to the opponent on your marks get set go because that's pretty much they can look at the clock too and and they can time when that snap's going to happen so I think that all puts Lamar under a tremendous amount of pressure he looks a bit twitchy to me. I, I think, you know, you look at the number of sacks. He's been sacked 37 times. 
the Ravens overall have been sacked 43 times. That's 12 more than the entire 2020 season. And they've got five games to go. So I think some of the time when Lamar's looking downfield, his head's not up as what as much as it was maybe earlier in the season because he's getting sacked so frequently. And if you've got your head down, you aren't seeing the things that are opportunities that are open down the field. So it brings me to my next question, guys. The Ravens really have a problem at right tackle. They have a problem at both tackles, if you ask me, but they really have a problem at right tackle because Tyree Phillips just doesn't have the mobility to play the position against speed rushers. And so I'm just wondering, I wanted to ask you guys, and we'll start with you, James. If you are Greg Roman, knowing that you've got a liability over there at right tackle, what resources might you use to help give him a fighting chance? Well, it's, it's a major headache right now. Uh, perhaps even more like right now, perhaps even more so than the, than the Humphrey loss, the Macari loss is a, is a, is a problem for the regular season. Certainly. Um, I think the, the real challenge, as you've put it, Tony, is that, that they do really have a problem at both tackle spots and, and you can disguise one bad tackle reasonably well you can scheme it up and you can do things that, that help them out but to have both struggle especially when you're and and that might be okay when you're facing the less um just the less effective pass rushing teams but when you're fa- like this week will be really interesting to see how they manage to neutralize Garrett and Clowney with two two deficient offensive tackles basically when you watch the Browns game from a couple of weeks ago what they did with with Villanueva uh, on on Garrett was they kind of relied on him to winning one-on-one occasionally or at least getting in the way basically on one-on-one on occasion they sped up Lamar's clock because of it they left him unblocked which is something they did to TJ Watt towards the end of the Steelers game which is a valid strategy for dealing with a an effective pass rusher when you know he's going to beat your guy one-on-one all the time but the problem is having both of those guys you can't leave both edge guys unblocked you've got to do some different things and then the challenge with that is if you do sort of leave people out on an island, just take the risk and speed up Lamar's clock, you haven't got a quarterback right now who's throwing with timing, as Dev mentioned earlier. So you've not got a guy who's able to get the ball out when he knows when when there's when there's um, traffic coming in all around him. And then if you do do the things to keep keep players in, in, in max protect, you've also got the timing problem because when you're in max protection and you've got six or seven guys protecting Lamar, uh, maybe even sometimes that the Ravens have used eight guys to protect Lamar so far ju- during the season, especially with all the problems they've had when they've used eight guys and they've sent two out in the route. If Lamar isn't throwing it with timing, isn't getting it out early, those two guys are getting lost in a sea of defenders. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. It is a real headache and they are going to have to basically take strategically look at it each game for me and say which one of these guys is going to be most exposed in this game and whichever one is going to be most exposed they're going to have to give help to and give protection to and the one who is who could be least exposed is going to have to hold up one-on-one on a number of occasions and I think Lamar's going to have to be very aware of the limitations of his protection. I think you just said it James he's got to be more aware of those limitations it's something that <clears throat> and I hate to make this comparison because I know <laughs> it'll be taken uh, out of scope, but Peyton Manning had a stretch uh, one season where they didn't have Tarek Glenn, I think, who's their left tackle, all pro left tackle for years and years and years. I think they had this horrible um, stretch, though, of injuries. 
And, uh, you know, it's Peyton Manning, so I, I'm not putting that on Lamar. I'm just saying that when, when that came up, I mean, inevitably Peyton knew in his clock, his internal clock would have to be even sped up that much more. It was, it, you're not going to get the best results, of course, when you don't have Ronnie Stanley. And I just think that at this point in the year, um, you know, we're, we're almost, you know, at the, at the quarter point of the end of the year, at this point, Lamar does have to kind of realize this is what I have in front of me. With that being the case, what can I do to help these guys out? And one of those things is, again, to stay on schedule, get rid of the ball. It's not sexy, uh, but, you know, you live another down. I mean, there's so many plays in that game, even last week, where, I mean, he just really exasperated the problem, I thought, by holding the ball and not even even just taking a loss and getting, getting you know, throwing the ball away, right? Um, you're in a deep, and here's the other thing, guys, game by game wise, they're, pre- they're playing another defensive battle this week with a team that isn't going to be able to really score a lot of points. So I think some of this is also, you know, situational football. Can Lamar adjust the way he approaches things or can they, I mean, can the coaching staff also approach it knowing that, Hey, like let's not expose ourselves too much to bad sacks and just you know, game ending plays. Let's try to run the ball. If we have to punt it a few times, that's okay. Cause we have confidence that the Browns aren't going to necessarily you know, just erupt for an explosion of points on the other side of the football. Rashad Bateman has, in my opinion, played in a way, a professional way that belied his years. And, and I, I was a little bit surprised how he just completely disappeared in that Pittsburgh game. Do you guys think that that was something that maybe they just rolled coverage towards Rashad or or has he been abandoned? I know that Harbaugh had something to say about that with regard to they want to spread the ball around. But I just think that this kid is, is just mature beyond his years and is ready to be more involved, yet the Ravens just don't seem to throw a lot of attention his way. Your thoughts on Rashad Bateman, and we'll start with you, Deb, getting him more involved in the offense. It's a complicated um, thing to, I guess, to, to analyze because um, on one front I am uh, you guys know I'm like the biggest Rashad Bateman fan I, I mean a couple of weeks ago I compared him to like a young Reggie Wayne I think when you have a guy like that you have to figure out a way to get him involved in the offense there's no question that's a shortcoming from Greg Roman as an offensive coordinator like you cannot have a guy like that not involved in the offense uh, because it's to the offense's detriment. He gets open quick. He's already established himself as a, I would say, you know, it's almost like a 10 year vet with how he runs his routes and makes life easier for the quarterback. So a guy like that is an asset to what they're str- dealing with in terms of the struggles and the pass protection stuff um, and, and the blitzing. So that's one end of the spectrum. However, I will say this, um, when you look at the snap counts, I mean, De- Devin Duvernay had more snaps than, than Rashad Bateman in this particular game against the Steelers. I will give them a little bit of credence in that. I mean, they may have just seen something that they wanted to expose with the Steelers in the game plan. And if you look at it, there was a lot of pre-snap motion. And then uh, they used Duvernay quite a bit to try to open up uh, a horizontal attack. They started the game that way. And I mentioned this to James, and then it kind of just, I don't know why it kind of just evaporated. It seemed like it was it was actually a good approach and, and got the Steelers on their heels. The first couple of drives, the offense actually did well. 
minus that interception. So um, I think it's a complicated response, which is that I agree that Bateman needs to be on the field more. However, I think in this particular game, I could see the uh, logic between it because Duvernay is also playing very well and does a lot of good things for them. So how can you, you know, you just have to figure out a way to balance those guys out and, and make sure that, you know, they're your biggest weapons, get them, you know, both the ball somehow, but I know it's not easy. Yeah, I'm not, I, I would agree. Deb. I'm, I'm not overly worried about, about Bateman. Um, and I don't, I think that, I think that the, the, the way that they used him against the Steelers was game plan dependent, I also think the return of of Sammy Watkins has been has been a big part of that. You know, since Watkins returned uh, in the Cleveland game, I think it was um, Bateman snaps have gone down below. I think half. I think he's over, below fifty percent in the last couple of games from when I looked at it the other day. So I think that's I think that's right. So I think he's you know his snap count has gone down slightly. He's when you watch the tape. I watched the Cleveland tape. Um, uh, in a few different ways, and one of the which was was to watch watch the receivers, and watching Bateman, he he's getting open still. You know, he 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 really is. He's still doing the things that we saw earlier in the earlier in the season. Um, he's getting open on in zone coverage, especially well still, and um, which was a big feature of his game coming out of Minnesota. It's still a big feature of his game. He feels for the soft spot in the zone really well, and adjusts his route accordingly to be able to to be a really friendly receiver for a quarterback. Um, he's also running really well on timing routes, but as we've talked about before, Lamar's not really hitting those particularly well at the moment. So I think the the struggles of the off, he's not been immune from the struggles of the offense in the same, in, in a way like say Mark Andrews hasn't been, you know, he's, he's been able to still produce while the offense has been struggling. And I think that's, um, just a feature of the fact that, you know, Lamar has been going to, to Andrews, um, when he needs, when he needs it. Um, I think it takes time to build up a rapport with the quarterback. And I think Bateman will build that rapport over time and, and eventually we'll start to see him, see him, um, see him go. But I think the other, the, you know, you think about Waddle and Smith and Chase, all those guys have had down periods in their season where they've, where they've, you know, had struggles and, and our guy Bateman had no, no preseason uh, and, and missed a large chunk of the regular season early on. So we've got to remember that. I think this is this is still early, and they're still sort of building him into it into this offense. And uh, I'd like to see them use him more. I, I really would because he is he he. I think he. I, I don't think like I don't think it's massively hyperbole from Dev to compare him to a young Reggie Wayne. As long as you're not thinking this guy is going to be Reggie Wayne or he already is Reggie Wayne. Like, I think it's, it is a, it's a great comparison in the way he, the way he plays receiver and, and it'd be great to get him in the game a bit more. Guys, before we continue, I wanted to mention that this edition of battle plans is also brought to you in part by rock spring financial group, Rick Metzger and his team of professionals work with many lenders and their goal is to find the right one to fit your mortgage needs, whatever they are. If you're seeking financing for a dream home, beach home, rental property, get the right fit with Rock Spring Financial. Others have taken my suggestion and walked away from the table smiling ear to ear. Call them at 443-801-6389. Again, that's Rock Spring Financial, 443-801-6389. Guys, when I look back at some of the more successful offensive games that the Ravens have had, I always come back to the comeback win against the Colts. And that to me was Lamar's shining moment or moments this season because he just really 
put it all together that game. And primarily there was a, a sense of urgency created by the game conditions that forced them to go no huddle. We saw a little bit of that against the Steelers where they effectively drove down the field after struggling earlier in the game, creating a sense of urgency that they typically do not have. And you have to wonder with all of the defensive substitution packages that they'll throw at the Ravens that that the the pressure from the opponent's defensive front has been so great against the Ravens' weak offensive line. And Lamar's rhythm, you add it all up, and the no huddle just seems to be the right fit for this team at this time. And I'm just perplexed as to why they only use it when they're when it calls for desperate times and so am i overlooking something here guys because i i just think that they should use it more as a a weapon and not as a tactic in desperate situations i think tony the 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 main reason why they wouldn't be using this and i am obviously i'm speculating is that the kind of beauty of this offense is the complexity of the offense. It's the complexity and the, and how multiple the running game is. And, and, and that is used through priest and that is um, sort of um, helped. And uh, there's a, there's additions to that because of the, the pre-snap motion that they, that they run with the difference in formations that they use, the different personnel they use. So it's quite a multiple offense in that, in that reign. And so it probably what what it probably is is that Greg Roman and others don't don't want to compromise the some of the things that make that offense great by running the no huddle. Having said that, uh, I don't so I, I wouldn't be moving to to it in the same way that say a, a Joe Flacco led offense went, went to it um a number of seasons ago, uh, going to it really often across drives. I think that there's there's something to be said for moving to towards doing it a bit more, and I think they will um, because I think it's it is as you mentioned a way to kind of maybe slow down some of the stuff that defenses are, are doing against them and running against them. So it's definitely something I think we'll probably see some more of, but I don't expect to see a huge pivot towards it just because of the nature of the offense. And then the other thing is the offensive line and getting the protection sorted. Um, I, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't want to rush an inexperienced offensive line through a drive. So it's definitely something that we, you know, that they want to they want to keep an eye on. I do think they'll use more of it, and I think it is something that's that's worth worth exploring. You know, uh, I wanted to also talk about the defense a little bit. One, you guys mentioned earlier in the program that Marlon Humphrey was now he's out for the season. The Ravens don't have Deshaun Elliott. They don't have Marcus Peters. So a lot of the coverage ability and, and Tavon Young hasn't been hundred percent. So a lot of the coverage abilities that they may have started the season with in preseason aren't there anymore. So do you adjust to more zoning if you are wink or, or how do you combat the loss of, of these players? And, and even with those players, the Ravens were giving up chunk plays. Yeah. I think that may compound the issue uh, if they, were to change their stripes uh, all the way, right? So we, you know, I think that the fan base has a tendency to look at look at this and say, okay, well, now that they've lost, you know, two of their premier man-to-man cover corners, let's just, you know, if you shift the zone, that can help, but not look at the fact that this is their bread and this is kind of their defense that they've installed 
and practiced and gone through all the repetitions for for such a substantial amount of time that to think that they could you know shift gears all the way um i mean i'm not i know i know that's not what we're talking about but it's just i think that the level of detail that's involved with that with the players that are already trained and kind of practice a certain way it's a huge shift so i think you can bake it in and kind of like they did uh maybe make some adjustments game to game like they did against buffalo in the playoffs last year remember guys that uh they went into that game and understanding that cover three and cover one was something josh allen usually kind of picked apart so they did run some more cover two and and did some two man and had their safeties back and and ran some zones and things like that um i just hesitate to necessarily uh put that on the on the players when they've already been dealing with so many um back end issues with just being lined up correctly and 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 so forth but i did have i mean there's a couple of things i think they can do um one is i think from personnel perspective I'd like to see Geno Stone on the field more three safety packages where you could conceivably then use Brandon Stevens as kind of a flex guy who can, who can still get some reps at cornerback. I think they need to kind of experiment with that. Um, from what I've seen from Geno, he's, he's been pretty good just being in the right place at the right time. He's not going to be a playmaker for you, but he's going to probably, he's not going to hurt you either. And I think that's something that they could, they can play with Brown with you have to obviously up the snaps on Jimmy Smith. Um, that comes with risk because he obviously can't handle too much of a workload, but this is the time of year where you kind of like go, okay, Jimmy here, this is your time of year. Now, like we, we kind of saved you all year. We, we, we worked with your Nixon and, and injuries. You got to give us a stretch run. If he plays and he's right. Uh, he had a huge influence even last week, just his press jam corner, uh, press jam ability, um, I think they have enough depth on the outside with double A, Jimmy Smith, Westry um, to make do. And then the third leg of this guys is, is the pass rush. I mean, just have to get home more often. The, there's been, I think, signs of that with Bowser and Owe really just having a couple of very good games, but they just got to be more consistent. And, uh, you know, now you kind of have to just kind of, I don't know that Wink should necessarily blitz more either. I think this is kind of a front, pass rush issue where those guys just have to get it done and step up that can help mask this loss so those are some of the thoughts I had James yeah I'd be with you Dev I I think that they can't they can't pivot entirely away especially when Averett and Westry and Smith these guys are built for man coverage these are guys who are who are guys you want to match up on the outside, man on man. You, you know, you're not you're not really wanting to ask them. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the communication issues in the secondary. They already do run a decent amount of zone coverage. Um, they just run it with man man match principles, which means that the zone coverage turns into man coverage depending on what route they're seeing from the receiver. So I think they they run a lot of that already. And the biggest issue, as you hit on, has been the communication issues and and everybody running the the right assignment. We've had Averitt come out this week and, and take responsibility, which I liked um, for that for that blown coverage on the um, Steelers touchdown. So I think that's something that they are going to have to move to a little bit. But I, I don't think you can change change the whole defense, the whole structure of the defense. I also agree with you, Deb, that it's on the pass rush and. A, 
I think one of the things I think fans probably have to be prepared to see, and is it maybe a trade-off that the Ravens need to decide whether they make or not, is that this team, including its edge defenders, play run first. They always play run first. And if you're going to ask them to sort of be more effective rushing the passer, you're probably going to have to take some of those run responsibilities off them slightly. I don't think this is the game to do that in um, because I think stopping the run is the first thing to do against against the Browns. But maybe against a team like the Packers, we might see Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon gash the Ravens for a few more runs than we would be used to because they're going to have to take some of those responsibilities off those edge defenders to be able to let them loose, to be able to get after Aaron Rodgers without having to blitz him. So there's definitely some, maybe some trade-offs there to see that you might start to see a slightly different shape of defense if they feel like they have to really compensate for, for Humphrey's loss. Uh, he's a huge loss. He really is. But I don't think he's as, like, I think they will be able to cover uh, this this loss without a huge drop off in play there's like there's this sort of I think everybody's probably feeling it as a Ravens fan that's like hit after hit after hit with injury that you're just kind of waiting for that killer blow and it feels like losing Humphrey is that killer blow but I'm not sure it will be like there's certainly going to be a drop off uh, but I don't think it's going to be a killer blow that derails the season certainly not yet it may do once we get to the playoffs I did think it was interesting that a lot of teams have targeted Marlon Humphrey, even with like not your all pro type receivers. So uh, you might be onto something there, James. And, and then it also makes me think this is a topic for a different day that did they overpay Marlon Humphrey to do what he's doing right now? But we can talk about that another time. I, I did want to touch on something you mentioned with the blown coverages and, and John Harbaugh was asked after the Steelers game, if, during the game that the Steelers ran out of gas, that the defense tired out in the fourth quarter. And this is what John, this is how he responded. He goes, no, they hit zero coverage a couple of times. You go to the well too many times and they get you. That's what happened. Is that shade that he's throwing yeah. on the wink Martindale? He's been a little bit more outspoken this year. Am I, am I, am I missing something? I mean, I think in terms of the coaches. Uh, so I think – you know, there's a lot of people that believe Harbaugh is just, he's going to protect his coaches at all costs. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I think to within reason, but yeah, that's, that's like another topic for another pod, but uh, to, 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 to take this quote apart, I believe that there is a level of accountability that he's putting out there, which is that, uh, and maybe he's just being honest. Maybe he's just kind of tired. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about, we talked about in the last pod, pod, uh, last battle plans pod, which is that, do you blitz Ben a lot? Like, do you come after him with just a band and, and kind of leave your, your secondary exposed? We talked about that and we said, no, I mean, or at least I think we were in unison on that. You have to pick your spots, but he's still wily and crafty enough that after a while he sees it, he's going to get adjusted and he warmed up and it was pretty easy. So uh, I think that it's the same thing with anybody that they face. That's a pretty, I would say, high IQ, relatively high IQ quarterback. These you remember the, the quote that Joe Burrow had earlier in the year, guys, is that, I mean, he put wink on blast essentially, which was that I, I'm used to this. I'm used to it and it's easy and I can see it. I mean, this is a guy that's in the second year in the league. So, I mean, I think uh, that this quote does have some validity whether Wink makes any adjustments to it or he continues this way, like, 
it's going to ultimately come back on wink on a bit on a macro level because he's gonna he wants to get a head coaching job in this league and whether he makes adjustments post marlon humphrey or not is really going to reflect on his ability to get that job in my opinion yeah i think i think you're right dev and i i think that the uh, last week as well that the way to the way to attack Roethlisberger is either to to rush three and drop average or to bring the house you can't do ones and twos and I, I I because he he's very good at carving up when he gets one or two extra guys coming at him I think what we saw was wink actually sticking to that strategy much to that to to bringing the house, you know, bringing everybody in and going with cover zero as as Harbor alluded to, and I I think I'm with you. I think I think Harbor is part of this is part of the strategy. I think when he's calling out, when it appears like he's calling out his coordinators, I think he's calling out himself because I do think I don't think those decisions make and are made entirely. Which he gives lots of autonomy to his coordinators. I'm sure he's sort of taking responsibility himself as well, rather than just putting it all on on Wink. Um, so I think there's definitely something to that. But I, Dev, I think you're right. I think this is you know this is a crucial stretch for Wink, and he's had you know a few chances at head coaching gigs, and and just hasn't managed hasn't managed to tie one down. This is a really really crucial stretch. You know, can he make this defense work? Um, when it's when it's a little more talent deficient than it's been in in previous years, he did his first year. His first year, it wasn't you know we didn't possess the Ravens didn't possess a particularly talented defense, and he made it work. So can he do the same the same now? He's going to have to pivot. A couple other questions, guys. But James, check out your your mic there because you faded in and out a couple of times. Um, but last one of the last questions I had, the we talked about criticisms of the coordinators. There was a lot of criticism directed towards John Harbaugh this week because of his decision to go for two points at the end of the Steelers game and not kick the PAT and send it into overtime. What were your thoughts on that decision, guys? Start with you, Dev. I was I was okay with it. I, I in game when they were going for two, I I I, I was I kind of embraced it. Um, I, I didn't know all the reasons behind the scenes. I mean, I think Harbaugh kind of touched on some of those, the rationale. Uh, but this is an aggressive team at the end of the day. I mean, this is the same team that went for the fourth down against the Chiefs and they got it. This is the same team that went for the, for the fourth down against the Seahawks. I mean, I think on some level, this is, you know, obviously the game, either win, you either win or lose. So it is even more drastic in that sense. But, you know, I think you kind of accept the fact that that this is Harbaugh, this is how Harbaugh approaches things at, at times. And he's going to take some very measured, calculated uh, risks. And I think he's very confident in that. And, and all the great coaches do it, guys. Like Bel- Belichick has done it. I think Sean Payton has done it, where they're just like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to try to win the game here. But, and I'm sure that also helped, uh, helped uh, the, the players came out and they kind of defended it after the facts. And, and I think that they, they respect it. So, I was good with it. I, I I liked it. Yeah, me too, Dev. I was good with it too. I I, I think it was. I think what it felt like was that um, back in the I think it was in the Colts game in the overtime uh, when we when the Ravens won the toss. It cut to I think it was in the Colts game. It cut to Lamar and he's you could see him say it's over, 
And I felt the same way, just the opposite direction. I felt like if the Steelers had won the toss, even if they'd even if they'd lost the toss, I think they'd have stopped stopped that offense. I know they just scored a touchdown, but for me, it felt like the, the Steelers had all the momentum on offense and would have been able to to drive down the field, especially with what we know now about Marlon. So I just do feel that it was probably the right decision to try and take it there uh, and put it away and not take another chance in overtime where you know I, I don't think the chances looked good. So I kind of liked the decision and, and didn't really have a problem with it. Yeah, full disclosure, at the time it was happening, I disagreed with it. But when I learned details behind the scenes, I fully supported the decision. And I think he made the right call. And, and if they converted that play, because it was – you know, a couple of adjustments on the play, it, they converted. And, and now we're talking the whole uh, dialogue is completely different after that. But I, I did think it was interesting after the game when they asked Mike Tomlin if he was surprised by the Ravens going for two. And he said, no, that they put a lot of emphasis on analytics. And from that perspective, they're pretty predictable. Well, I have a question from Mike Tomlin, and it's kind of a rhetorical question is, if they're so predictable, why didn't you decline the intentional offsides against Chuck Clark? So with that in mind, last question I have for you guys. We've seen the Ravens play the Browns a couple of weeks ago. They're preparing for them again. The Browns have been able to sit back and relax and, and keep the Ravens under their focus, under their microscope for the better part of three weeks now because that's the only foe that they've encountered over that period of time. So what did we learn from the last game against the Browns and how might that learning affect the strategy, both from a defensive and an offensive perspective in this particular game, guys? And James, let's start with you. The I'm looking at what the Ravens should, instead of putting together a full battle plan again for, for the Browns um, two weeks out, I've, I've focused on a Browns film from two weeks ago and what it what are we what are the Ravens start start and continue on offense and on defense I think defense what we what, what you want to see is they defended the run extremely well and I think what I noticed was that all of the component parts of defending the run were really good you know you saw everybody turn up the star of the show was Patrick Queen who was really effectively reading the Browns pre-stat motion his eyes, shooting gaps all night long um, and did a really good job. And they also bracketed David Njoku pretty well, which I thought was something that they they probably want to continue if Njoku comes off the COVID list. Uh, I also think on defense, though, you probably want to see them start to maybe um, maybe look at the ways in which they defend Jarvis Landry on especially on kind of intermediate routes when he's getting when he's finding um gaps in the zones um and sort of taking advantage of some of those match principles I mentioned earlier. Um and I also think they probably gave a little too too little respect to Baker Mayfield. And I know Mayfield kind of lived up to those expectations because he had a really poor game. But I, I can't see him having such a bad game as he had last time. And there were times when the Ravens let tight ends leak out to the weak side of the formation and have acres of space to run into. And they didn't, they, they didn't really account for them. So I'd kind of like to see a little, just a little bit more respect shown to the, the Browns passing game um, in this one. And I think on offense, there's just a bunch of stuff they need to do differently. They did do pretty well against Miles Garrett. Um, and as I said, I think Villanova did pretty well, but you know, it'll be a whole different kettle, whole different um 
bargain with with Macari out as well. But there's just loads of stuff that I think they need to do differently on offense, which we've kind of talked about a lot throughout the throughout the course of this um, throughout the course of the podcast. But I think you know hitting some deep passes, getting some downfield threat. They were really keying off on, on those underneath routes and didn't really care about anything going down the field and, you know, got to hit some of those timing routes that we talked about earlier as well. I think the final thing I just wanted to mention was Jeremiah Wusukormaro had a really good game and I'm a bigger Wusukormaro fan, but he, he is a very unique linebacker. And so when the Ravens get their running game going, I think they need to understand their limitations in being able to block Owusu Koromawa because Ricard Boyle just can't make it happen. They're great blockers, but Owusu Koromawa with his explosion, his lateral agility and his, his superior processing, processing, he just, he is too good um, to block with a Ricard or a Boyle. So I would actually get a receiver on him, knowing that the receiver isn't going to actually make him stick the block, but that he might actually have the uh, ag- enough agility to at least get in a Wusukuramura's way, which which the Ravens just weren't doing at all. So those are the things I saw, and, and you can read a bit more about what I think in, in the battle plans piece this week. Just want to touch on one thing, and I think James alluded to it. Um, Baker, uh, yeah, I think Baker actually had more opportunities. Um, the Ravens kind of dodged a few bullets. I mean, there was a couple of drops, but you got to take Landry out of this game because if you look at the, the way this is shaping up, the Browns like to use a lot of three tight end. They rely on that formation, uh, and, and it's just not going to be available for them depending on, of course, like how does this COVID situation shake out with Njoku, um, they're going to already be out with without uh, Harrison Bryant, their other tight end. Um, so that really puts it on Austin Hooper, maybe just one tight end that's healthy. Uh, that changes the dynamic of their formations and what they want to do. So that means you got to clamp it. You have to figure out a way to clamp down on, on Jarvis Landry. Obviously not having Humphrey be a guy that could just do that uh, and be that you know shadow corner is, is tough, but um, they have to put the emphasis on that and force these other guys like Donovan Peoples Jones and, you know, those types of guys to make plays um, and, and take your chances that way. All right, guys, that's going to put a bow on it for this week. That's our, our battle plan. So please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank James and Dev for your time and our sponsors, Royal Farm and Rock Spring Financial. We'll talk to you again next week and be sure to check out James complete battle plans on RussellStreetReport.com. We'll talk to you again next week.